Ben, who sounds an awful lot like Bradley Cooper, mm -hmm. uh, because mm -hmm. it is Bradley Cooper. I thought he sounded like Rocket Raccoon. <laughs> That's true. Welcome to Rocketopia, a happy home for recommended movies, shows, and music from two people you can definitely trust. Trustability varies by region, no guarantee is implied. Aaron Dicer and Jeremy Scott. I want her to respect me the way that she respects you. I'm not saying that I was right, okay? And I'm sorry. You're sorry? I'm sorry. I accept your apology. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Recotopia, episode 82. I'm Jeremy Scott. And I'm Dicer. And Dicer is here as well. We welcome the chat who are here as we live broadcast this episode while we record it. The wonders of technology. <laughs> uh, this week's big recommend is 10 Cloverfield Lane. I'm anxious to get into that. But we always start out the show with our small recommends. And I'm hoping, Aaron, that you brought at least one or two of those this week. It's no big deal. It's so small and light. It's small. It's tiny. It's petite. It's weak. Nope. Totally forgot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do have a couple. Uh, I figure Jeremy is doing movies this week, uh, mm -hmm. so I don't have any movies. I'll let Jeremy handle the movies this Ooh, week. Nice. Um, my first recommendation is a TV show uh, that just has season three that just dropped. Uh, it is Disenchantment. Ooh. Now, Dis Disenchantment is the third series from uh, the brain of Matt Groening uh, after Simpsons and Futurama, and was just thinking... The other day, how incredible it is that he is three for three like this. All mm. three of these shows are just so fun, so funny. And Disenchantment is a little bit uh, more serial in nature. There's like an actual storyline that's going on. It's, you know, got a medieval theme, but then there's also places in this world that are more like steampunk. And so there's some steampunk things going on, but the yeah. characters are really fun. Um, but it follows uh, Bean, uh, our uh, heroine, as she and Hero, who uh, continues to go through her world and try to figure things out. She's accompanied by uh, Elfo and uh, Lucy, a little demon, uh, and they uh, are absolutely hilarious together. So lots of fun side characters, which you would always expect from a graining project. It's amazing how much they fill out the world with all these interesting characters in Simpsons and Futurama and the same as in uh, Disenchantment, which I often accidentally call Disenchanted, uh, but it is actually Disenchantment. It is on Netflix season three, just dropped. Uh, I highly recommend all three seasons. Uh, you know, what's wild is that I remember reading about this show being in development mm -hmm. and then until today, I forgot about it. Um, and so, but it's three seasons in like I, almost every week I'll see a headline or an article mm -hmm. like the show renewed for a seventh season. And I'm like, that, that's, I didn't even think it was, <laughs> had come yet. Uh, I still haven't, oh, shame. I'm about to bring shame upon myself. I still haven't seen Futurama. Yeah. Um, I know that I the people I know that like The Simpsons and have seen Futurama tend to tell me Futurama is better. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't doubt it. Uh, I just haven't gotten there. Um, this is it's hard to compare. 
Yeah, it's on Netflix. Uh, in Futuram Futurama, by the way, just came back on Hulu for a new season. Um, so a new season. Oh, all three of his shows are still running in one form or another. So that's that's amazing as well. But it's hard to compare things to The Simpsons because The Simpsons is this behemoth that has been around for over three decades, going yeah. on a fourth decade, and it's like if you compare Futurama to the first couple seasons of the Simpsons, I think the Simpsons has the edge, but if you look at it as like a, you know, a complete thing, I think Futurama on the whole with its, what is this? The 13th season that just dropped, mm -hmm. um, is, is probably better overall average, you know, episodes or whatever, but it disenchantment is also really, really great and should be in that discussion. Aaron, it's, why don't we it's amazing. wait until they've all had 35 seasons. <laughs> That's right. And then we'll then compare. We'll okay. Fair enough. Oh. We'll, 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 we'll touch back. We'll touch back on it. <laughs> well, I, uh, I'm curious about this and I will add it to the enormous pile that I'm starting to think I'll never get through, but, uh, <laughs> good recommend. I'm going to make, uh, a couple of, Small recommends for big movies that you guys probably already know uh, I like and the show tends to like. But I have kind of a, re a different reason for each of these. Uh, the, the first one is Unbreakable. So for the last four or five years, um, whenever my brother and his family and his, his kid come to town, his kid goes to college here, um, we we have like a movie night or a movie weekend and we tend to try and show his kid something he's never seen that we love uh the first one i remember ever doing this with was the matrix and the look on his face at the end of the matrix was was reason enough to do this for all time and right. uh brought him back for school this year and uh we settled on the movie unbreakable uh he had never seen it um <clears throat> And he ended up really enjoying it. But it's the first time. This is a movie I, I saw in the theater. I built the print. I've seen it a dozen times. I have always loved this movie and championed it. But this is the first time I have seen it since we started doing Recotopia, which has caused me to watch movies in a new way that I think mm. me is more fulfilling because especially if it's a movie I've seen a bunch, I don't necessarily need to catch every line of dialogue i can focus on stuff i've never focused on before now again my co-host today is a, a, a shameless m night Shyamalan fan <laughs> who has probably, m night shameless athon who has probably already gleaned this insight from this movie and i'm perfectly willing to say that i'm late to the party mm. on this particular insight but i want you to watch unbreakable again everybody if you've never seen it watch it it's fantastic if you've seen it if you've seen it a bunch of times and like it i want you to watch it with a very specific thought in mind i want you to count unbroken shots i remember the the, the unbroken shot that stays with me from the first viewing on is the one with the body in the foreground blurry and bruce in the background getting interviewed and the body slowly gets bloodier and bloodier and bloodier mm -hmm. but the first three scenes of this movie are one shots all mm -hmm. three of them and then the movie returns to these long unbroken takes and it's intentional and it speaks to theme but it also puts you in the scene in a way that other camera work might not and 
I paused twice. I, I maybe <laughs> ruined my nephew's experience. I paused it twice to turn and go, that entire scene was one shot. That was an unbroken <laughs> shot, that whole scene. And it's just, it's just wild to me how this is, I think, and I, this is why I like to watch movies over and over and over again. There is, there is both the comfort of that, you know, grandma's cooking warmth, hug blanket thing of an mm -hmm. old friend sure. but there is also the discovery that for me can only happen uh with multiple viewings because i have to be in a different place as a person i have to have a different state of mind um and so again this is why i love the concept of this show because even a familiar movie can be recommended in a new light so there you go that's my recent rec uh experience watching unbreakable again it's so chock full of long, <laughs> unbroken shots, and I can't believe I never noticed it before. It's it's an incredible film, um, and a lot of the the ways that M. Night stays with his shots so long is he gets really creative with background, foreground, and with the use of mirrors or windows, or which in this movie takes on a whole nother thematic level. There's, you know, there's so many uh, shots of glass, through glass, reflections, like, and that that's opening not a scene with the baby and the doctor saying, did you drop this baby? Like that is all one shot. Mm -hmm. And he goes yeah. from the woman to the doctor, to the mirror, back to the woman, and he's just making perfect use of that space giving mm -hmm. us five or six different angles of it oh it's so incredible yeah yeah it's a great 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 movie uh <sighs> certainly certainly worth talking about anytime you get a chance to uh my second recommend small recommend uh is a podcast uh so oh, i know what this is uh, this is strike force five uh a new podcast from the uh, the all the white men who are doing talk shows. <laughs> there was a conspicuous absence, right? But didn't Trevor yeah, Noah like yeah. resign? Is he is he still hosting? I think he I think he did step uh, away, and they they briefly mentioned <laughs> trying to reach out <laughs> to other people. They're like, no, I guess it is what it is. Uh, welcome oh, to man. Hollywood. Uh, <laughs> They're only two episodes in, and I will say this. It takes a lot for me to add a new podcast to my routine. I mm -hmm. have a lot of old favorite podcasts that I have in my um, – I use Pocket Casts in my podcast app that that I will listen to, and it's, it's enough. I have enough to put in my ears for when I'm running or driving or whatever the case may be. Um, but I think all these guys are funny in their own way. I also think they all have a little bit of a different sense of humor, which is interesting. And so to hear them just converse is just, if nothing else, it's a good hang, mm -hmm. uh, which is one of the reasons. Uh, in fact, this is the second podcast I've added in probably the last seven years. Uh, the one before this is the same uh, kind of idea. Uh, that was Smartless was the other one I added with Jason Bateman and uh, Will Arnett and uh, Sean uh, Hayes. So that just idea, like it's going to be a good hang. And then this one has the also the interesting thing of, that it's happening during the strike as a way for them to be able to pay their staff while they're on strike. So they are mm -hmm. using all the advertising from this podcast to provide for their individual staffs of a couple hundred people uh, who are now not working, um, you know, because of what's going on with the strike. So mm -hmm. I found that 
interesting and admirable, and uh, I'm really enjoying uh, listening to it. Um, I think all these guys are funny. So, so when the strike ends, the podcast ends. See, I don't know about that. I don't. That's what's interesting. I I, I am curious about that. I'm curious. Uh, first of all, if the strike is ever going to end, huh. and then uh, second, what how they will then. Because if it's a hit, if it's successful, certainly uh, the business acumen side of them will be like, well, we should be able to do something with this. But I'm wondering if they'll still find a way to use this podcast to support something else other than their own already full bank accounts. I mean, they um, built so. the word strike into the title. So yes. if it becomes like supporting the homeless, they're going to need like a new title. Um, <laughs> sure. But I do like the idea. I was reading... Two days ago, um, somebody, they were pulling Kimmel quotes and making entire articles basically out of this podcast. And I, it was the first I'd heard of it. And I was like, wow, that's a great idea. The, the five of them together. Uh, I bet it's really funny. Um, and uh, I like the idea of donating the revenue. Um, that's pretty That's pretty cool, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, pretty cool, and and it's a and it's a fun listen. It really is. I think the cynic in me ten years ago would have been like, "Why don't you just pay him out of your pocket?" But <laughs> uh, current me like has a different perspective. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of money, um, my second recommend uh, is Moneyball. My small recommend Moneyball. I took a big swing, ladies and gentlemen. And I'm I'm using a baseball analogy, uh, and I showed this movie to my wife. My wife <sighs> could not care less about baseball. Um, it's not that she is like looks down on it. She actually thinks my excitement about baseball is adorable. And she went to a baseball game with me. Uh, but other than that, she doesn't have any interest. So I, if, if I'm excited, all she needs to know is uh, Orioles won. She doesn't need to know you know like which player got on base three times and were hit for the cycle. But <clears throat> there's something about Moneyball that I suspected might speak to her. Um, specifically, kind of the under underdog thing, as well as the outside-the-box approach. So we sat down and we watched Moneyball. Don't tell my wife. I accidentally showed her the director's cut that I didn't know existed. <laughs> I didn't know there I, was a director's cut of this movie. I, I, I bought the movie on Amazon. I didn't know there was a director's cut. There's extra scenes. and um, Are they good? The scenes, they were okay. okay. Um, but I've seen the movie enough that I could tell every single time that a, a scene went yeah. long. Yeah, everybody's like, there's a director's cut. I'm telling you, just go to Amazon, buy the movie if you've got expendable cash, uh, and then watch <laughs> it, and you'll see what I'm talking about. So this has happened before, by the way. Uh, there's several movies I bought on Amazon just trying to buy to own, and they ended up being extended cuts. Uh, maybe there's a podcast mystery to be solved. That we hmm. down. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, so... About halfway through the movie, not halfway, she's, she was pausing it every now and then to ask me questions because there's there are things about the game that the movie kind of hopes you already understand. Mm -hmm. um, but nothing was too complicated to explain. But about halfway through, I paused it. 
And I said, are you enjoying it? And she said, I'm actually really tired of all these scenes with his daughter because I want him to get back to the baseball stuff. Um, <laughs> the daughter and, stuff is the heart of the movie, though. It, it absolutely is. I'm telling you that for the humor's sake of her being invested in the baseball uh -huh. stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't think she was actually trying to like be mean about the daughter. She, she became she became the uh, the kid from Liar Liar. Uh, yes. Baseball yes. stuff. Baseball stuff. Uh, she got really wrapped up in whether or not they were going to succeed with this mm -hmm. plan. Yeah. And my favorite moment was at the end when Scott Hatterberg hits the home run and rounds the bases. They've been up 11 to nothing. They uh -huh. tied 11 to 11. And she pauses the movie and she turns to me and she goes, now how much of this is Hollywood? <laughs> right. And I smiled the broadest smile. And I said, we're going to watch a YouTube video after this yeah. movie is over. Yeah. And you're going to see how well Chris Pratt captured the yeah. exact rounding the bases that that guy did. This is all 100% real. Uh, and it just it just made the movie for her that that wasn't. There are plenty of Hollywoodizations in the film. But sure. that game is not one of them the streak is not one of them um and uh she loved it and it's really i mean the reason i'm making this a small recommend i'm specifically trying to speak to non-baseball fans who have mm -hmm. maybe avoided this movie because it's a baseball movie and uh if my wife can really enjoy this uh i think you guys could probably enjoy it as well so there you go it's my second small recommend moneyball uh bennett miller directed Moneyball and the only other two movies I mean he's only done three other movies as a director that I can see um and I've seen two of them Foxcatcher and Capote which are both fine mm -hmm. but there's just a magic with with Moneyball that I'm I'm just I don't it's probably the, the Sorkin of it all I'm guessing mm -hmm. um but yeah it's so good it's so yeah, very good it is all right it's time for the big recommend everybody this Indeed. week's big recommend is 10 Cloverfield Lane. It was brought to us by Aaron. Aaron, take it away. I'm fine. I'm fine. It's just that you're so big. It's so huge. It's a good rule, but this is bigger than rules. It's bigger on the inside. Is it? I noticed. So I will preface uh, our discussion on 10 Cloverfield Lane by talking a little bit about Dan Trachtenberg, uh, who this was kind of his big first shot at directing uh, a Hollywood feature. J.J. Um, Abrams put him in charge and said, go for it. And uh, Dan is somebody I followed for many, many years. Uh, speaking of podcasts, he was on one of the first podcasts I ever listened to, um, probably and watched. It was like a video podcast, a uh, podcast called The Totally Rad Show. Hmm. Um, and so I was very aware of this guy and his opinions and what you know influenced him. And I knew him as kind of what we do, talking about movies and talking about that kind of stuff. And so I will preface all of this by saying I am not unbiased. I like I have a parasocial relationship with this director. You know what okay. I mean? Like yeah. it's, it's yeah. I want him to succeed. Uh, and thankfully, I think he really is. And I think Prey, uh, which was uh, his kind of next big shot at this, also speaks to uh, some real talent. Uh, but yes, this is a movie that takes place in the Cloverfield universe, though really only the last 10 to 15 minutes of the movie uh, speak to that universe. Um, and we start with this nice peaceful zoom out into this room, and then we find out that actually there's trauma happening in this room. There's a phone call going on. Uh, this is Mary Elizabeth Winstead's uh, character. 
<clears throat> she's packing in a hurry. We're getting exposition just through shots. There's really no dialogue or sound in this. And we get the sense that it's a breakup uh, through a shot of a ring and some other things uh, that are there. I wanted to um, say real quick, this is the most J.J. Abrams-esque thing, and I love it. I'm not ripping on it. You uh -huh, can tell yeah. that J.J.'s influence is here because he's the master at non-dialogue, music, emotional montages. He shows you exactly the right shots, mm -hmm. exactly the right beats, and you get all the information that a, a lesser movie would put in text on the screen. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I think, I think visual exposition is intoxicating. I think it's just, yeah. it's so, because it makes the audience feel smart, right? Like you're, you get to do the deductions. Nobody's yep. spoon, spoon, spoon fooding, spoon, uh, spoon feeding you the exposition. So yeah, I love visual exposition and this movie is full of it, not just in the opening scene. Uh, there's some really good uh, non-dialogue stuff. In fact, I don't think we hear her character speak for the first 10 to 15 minutes of this, uh, this movie. Um, because it's all uh, non-dialogue up until then. She gets a phone call uh, from somebody named Ben who sounds an awful lot like Bradley Cooper mm -hmm. uh, because mm -hmm. it is Bradley Cooper. I thought he sounded like Rocket Raccoon. <laughs> that's true. That's true. This distracts her uh, just enough so that we think uh, she gets in a car accident because she was distracted. Um, and the titles come up with this very cool cut the sound to the very title, cool. then back to the sound, and then yeah. cut the sound. Really cool titling uh, there uh, during the car crash. She wakes up in a nightmare. She wakes up in a what looks like a very sparse cell room. She is bandaged. She is fixed uh, up as much as possible. She has an IV mm. uh, on her, and she's trying to figure out what's going on while being scared out of her mind. Uh, she sees that her phone is in there uh, in the room, and though she's tied to the bed, she uses very uh, resourcefully, uses the IV stand to get her phone, tries to call, and we're being set up to know right away this is this is uh, this is a very smart, resourceful character. Yeah. And um, and I one and one of the things I do enjoy about the movie is is how much it lets its characters be smart um, and uh, does throughout. Um, she finally meets John Goodman uh, when he brings her some breakfast. Um, she sharpens her uh, crutch to try to attack him. Another resourceful kind of smart thing to do. Even sets a fire to get him in the room. Uh, but he rebuffs that attack. He is able to uh, survive that and then have a conversation with her about what is going on on the outside. Mm. Uh, so we also find out that there is another prisoner here who we meet quickly um, because we very quickly get to a time when Howard is letting her and Emmett look around. Uh, he mentions a Megan. We don't know who this Megan is. Uh, the movie is setting up a lot of questions for us to ask, which I also love. Uh, leaves us with a lot of questions and a lot of tension that is just a very natural tension of what's going on here. Uh, where uh, Emmett says he was actually trying to get into the bunker, which is our first clue to uh, the Mary Elizabeth Winstead character that maybe this guy's not just crazy, um, even if he is creepy. I like how, I mean, I appreciate that you said that that way, because no matter what, he is not right. Correct. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so we do start to get the sense that he is trying to replace Megan, um, who he says, you know, is his daughter. Um, then we get this dinner scene 
where, again, she's being very resourceful, scopes out where the keys are, sets up a plan to get him angry enough to confront her so that she can snag the keys. It works. Her plan works. She gets there in, in what I think is a very unique turn on this situation. She is left to make the decision herself whether or not she's going to leave or stay. And because of what she sees outside when a woman just happens to be there at the same time that she's escaping, um, the, the she is able to go, you know what, I'm just not sure what it is out there. Uh, even though this guy is creepy, uh, I don't want to walk out and die. And so she stays. Um, so then we get some of the little bit of uh, exposition about Howard's daughter being Megan. Um, he mentioned something about the wife taking her away from him. So we get the sense that that's where this imbalance, um, started or maybe even before then. Um, and maybe there are reasons the wife took him away. All of this is in the air. Then we get some interesting kind of happy times, uh, stuff. The, uh, I think we're alone now is playing on the radio and they're putting together a puzzle and they're kind of having a good time and getting used to this. Um, something flies over. I think the bunker at one point, uh, and uh, that is something that's noticed like, okay, so if everybody's dead outside, why are there still cars driving, airplanes mm -hmm. flying? And then the filtration system gets blocked. And so he has Michelle crawl through to unblock it, but nope. she discovers, dun, 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 somebody <laughs> wrote help on the upper exit window of the bunker. Um, they find out uh, together, her and Emmett find out that this was uh, a girl named Brittany, who previously um, the Howard character had said was his daughter. They realize that's not his daughter, that he had a second person trapped here and traumatized here. So they launch a plan to use the shower curtain as a hazmat suit and to find a way out. This is broken up a little bit when Howard finds some tools in, in uh, a really dramatic scene, confronts them about the tools over a vat of biological acid. Jesus. Uh, and this is a part where Emmett says it was all my idea. I apologize. I'm sorry. And he says, I accept your apology and then shoots him dead. Um, and at that point, we are at the precipice of, okay, we know what's going on here. You know, this guy's clearly lost his mind. He's clearly a bad person who has bad intentions. Um, and so then it's really just about the escape uh, at that point. So uh, she does get caught, but manages to turn the table by dumping the acid on him, which also starts the bunker on fire. She then uses a trick that he taught her to break the lock uh, out of the bunker. Um, she rips her suit, uh, suit, but hears and sees birds and knows that the, the air is okay. And then it becomes a Cloverfield movie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so that's what happens in the last 10 to 15 minutes. But at the end, she decides to go to Houston where they are fighting um, these the alien attackers because she finally now knows that she wants to choose to fight to protect and not just panic and run, mm. um, which is the theme of her character and the progress, the character development of her character and what that character had to learn. So mm. there you go. That is 10 Cloverfield Lane. Jeremy, this mm. time through, what are some of your thoughts? I think I have maybe a unique perspective on the end. Um, it feels to me like people are one of two camps. They either dislike the Cloverfield ending or they like the Cloverfield ending. Mm -hmm. 
I want something in between. Uh, I want her to go outside, see the birds, take off her mask. Everything's great. And then suddenly an alien ship approaches and we're done. That's it. I don't need. So you want it to end where she goes, oh, come on. And then cut to credits. Basically. Yes. Yeah. Because I don't mind the whole movie sets up that something is probably going on, Mm -hmm. whether he's lying about it or not. The pigs got screwed up. That woman has a screwed up face and she's screaming to get inside there and screaming uh, screaming i only touched them for a little bit i only touched them for a second or something they only touched me for a second yeah evidence that there is something going on so i don't mind that aliens show up at the end that doesn't bother me i mind that she gets out and then we have a 12 minute separate movie Mm -hmm. of escaping the aliens and i i feel like that is just too much Cloverfield-ish. Like, we're trying too hard to make it Cloverfield. You could have just had one of the monsters from the original Cloverfield, like, stomp on the horizon at the end of this movie, and it would have been a fine... It would have been fine to call it Cloverfield. They went so far as to put the... The address of this house is 10 Cloverfield. Yeah. Like, there's a street sign that falls down or an address sign at the end of the movie. Mailbox, yeah. Yeah, what are you doing? Why by naming it's, the street that? <clears throat> it's also on a piece of mail we see earlier in the film, but it goes by pretty quickly. Um, that was one of those. I've I've actually heard Dan talk about this. That somebody jokingly, you know, mentioned that the house was on a Cloverfield Lane or whatever, and they all laughed and then um, then went hmm and decided to keep it. I don't. I disagree. I don't know why they decided. I I think that adds an element of falseness to the to the whole thing uh for me but um but anyways so I, I don't necessarily get it either yeah i mean again uh i really enjoyed the movie i'm i'm, I'm now wishing i hadn't started out with the criticism um <laughs> no you're the, good love the opening love all of the show don't tell throughout the movie especially a lot of her ingenuity her resourcefulness um where it's you know we're just watching and again like you said i thought i really like the way you phrased that makes us feel smart to to Mm -hmm. deduce what she's doing um i think all three performances are really really good she kind of steals the movie for me um i I never dislike john goodman i'm not trying to brag on that guy and i don't know the actor's name who played emmett but i remember him from news john gallagher jr i believe is his name something that that sounds about right um I'll look it up. He's really good too. Um, and he's he's important uh structurally for this movie because he both I guess defends Howard at first, but then has local knowledge of that Britney girl mm-hmm. uh that ends up being key. Let's talk about that for a second. Sure. He had to have had that Britney girl down there in that shelter before whatever attack happened correct correct the attack happens and he michelle and emmett all go in in the same night they all go in at the same time how many were there before britney how long ago was it that his daughter was taken away from him and he's been trying to recreate that like i don't actually get a correct me if you disagree i don't actually get like a perverted kind of thing from him i think it's up in the air I think yeah. the I think there the one shot 
there's one shot that I think indicates maybe uh, that he was abusive to his daughter, and it's the way he's got his arm around her mm-hmm. in the photo. Mm-hmm. There is a focus on where his hand is. Oh, that, yeah. That, that is, and, and, I, and I know that that shot is also about the shirts, by the way. I, I love, that's another example of, you know, you show the photo, and you, you've seen her in this shirt. But you don't realize it's the same. Well, I didn't realize the first time I watched it. It's the same shirt until it pans back up and she's wearing it right then. Yeah. The same shirt. And the movie doesn't give like an like a blinking arrow at it or have somebody say, oh, that's the same shirt. Like it just lets the audience recognize it and go, oh, my goodness, he's trying to replace his daughter. But that is the one shot where I go, I think they're intending at least to hang the idea that there is something perverted about it going on here or something beyond just a fatherly uh, well, you know, kind, kind of thing. Of, that mirrors the opening. We don't really know what happened with her fiance. Like he says right. on the phone, you know, people argue, but the, she she's packing in a panic and mm-hmm. she leaves a ring behind. So did he hit her? Did he, we don't know. That is left intentionally vague because we don't need to know we just know we just need to know why or that she's going and a, a vague understanding of why and that was one of the changes they made in the script is that in the original script the boyfriend actually shows up to save the day at the end which i think is a complete terrible wow. way to end that wow. uh, in that story um so so yeah and they made they made several changes to make this in the cloverfield universe but uh from the script that that they started oh, I'm glad with, they made but, that change that would yeah. have been oh my goodness yeah like how would he have found her i don't know i'm sure they could have figured out some movie way you know wow. track the phone whatever you know kind of thing uh, i think it's funny that howard doesn't want to waste flushes but leaves all the <laughs> lamps on all the time yes. um and i'm a lamp noticer um <clears throat> I, uh, my name is Jeremy Scott, and I'm a I, lamp noticer. I'm a lamp noticer. Lamp noticer is anonymous. Um, I never, ever, ever need to see anybody getting stitches in a movie. Um, I understand why it's there, mm-hmm. um, but I don't need to see it, and uh, I don't enjoy it. And uh, I liked uh, – I'm just going through my notes, by the way. I like how, in the end, Howard basically kind of turns into the same kind of sick, infected zombie – evil that Mm -hmm. he is afraid of yeah nice yeah i hadn't really thought about that that's a great comparison he's disfigured and he's growling Mm -hmm. and he's like uh i think that's pretty intentional um and uh yeah i wrote it's wild she wants to be a fashion designer when her true talents are under pressure problem solving (laughs) 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 she should probably be like some sort of field commander i don't know she's just uh her brain is incredible in this movie and uh, i appreciate uh i appreciate you were talking about the shirt i appreciate that this movie much like prey uh there's a lot of intentional things shown to Mm -hmm. you early on that come back around later uh that's one of traction birds real talents yeah yeah um yeah we mentioned it in the intro scene it's also a very Hitchcockian thing. Hitchcock did this a lot. And I know uh, Dan really looks up to the way Hitchcock and Spielberg, those are kind of his two main influences, and you can kind of feel that here. Yeah. Which, by the way, that's kind of J.J. Abrams' kind of main two influences, too. Sure. Like, So you can sure. kind of feel how uh, they would work together. Um, but, yeah, just that, that – uh, 
silent exposition, visual exposition. There's also wordless character development, which I always love as well. Uh, like we talk about with the resourcefulness, uh, you know, that this character has, um, the Ben character, uh, as voiced by Bradley Cooper was originally supposed to be in the movie. Bradley Cooper was originally supposed to appear in this movie and then they just changed it. Um, so I, and that of course is an alias connection. JJ and Bradley go back to uh, alias together. Way so, back, I knew Bradley so. Cooper before any of you fools because I was an alias. <laughs> That's right, Stan. Uh, Trachtenberg shot this chronologically, which I always think is interesting. Um, and the the goal being uh, likely to have the characters experience it uh, as the so movie. So the only expect. reason to not shoot chronologically, in my opinion, is money. Right, mm-hmm. like. It makes the if you can afford it, it makes the most sense to shoot chronologically rather than having your actors every day have to go. Okay, I'm at this point in the movie, so I have to be experiencing these emotions. If you let them go through it, I don't know. I've always, I mean, I didn't understand budgets when I first got into movies, but I was like, why don't they just shoot them chronologically? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's usually budget decision. Why is Tom Cruise jumping off a mountain on a motorcycle on the first day of shooting? Because if we don't get that shot, we got to change things. Uh, That's why. (laughs) Uh, I love the little touches of humor in the movie. It is a very tense movie, but there's all the, you know, there are occasions to smile at these characters, what they're saying. There's a a really um, adorable forehead tattoo conversation that just feels authentic. Uh, and I really love that. Uh, the first time we see the, uh, duck shower curtain, I think is funny. Uh, just the way the camera lingers on it, uh, which is serves two purposes. It's both funny and it's foreshadowing, foreshadowing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is always nice. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the original idea for the Cloverfield universe, because I think this is so fascinating. Um, originally the idea was to do a series of barely marketed movies that just came out um, that were based in this universe and then have a movie after those movies came out where the protagonists of these movies, Clovenger style, uh, you know, come together wow. to fight the aliens uh, and, and to beat them. So we would have the, uh, the Michelle character from this movie, one of the characters from the first movie. Uh, I don't know if you ever saw Overlord. That originally was supposed to, had been um, tagged no, to be a clover. I saw Paradox. I can't imagine how somebody <laughs> got off the space station to come down and fight the aliens. Well, it's it's interesting because she's headed to Houston, right? So, like, there's there's these little lines of of you know connection that you can these seeds being planted, um, and I just you know there's part of me that laments that vision not coming to conclusion, yeah. even though Cloverfield Paradox is a pretty bad movie. Um, yeah. Uh, like I still kind of wanted to see the Cloverfield version of Overlord or Cloverlord maybe is what they would have called it. I don't know. Overlord. Nice. And to see kind of what that, you know, Avenger style movie would have been like uh, had it kind of gone that way. Um, Cause that's, that's just, I I don't know. I find all of that non-marketing stuff interesting. I just think there's a lot of interesting ideas I would have loved to have seen succeeded a little better, Um, but it just wasn't meant to be. Um, let's see. What else did I have here? We mentioned the same shirt. Um, the character moments for, uh, the Howard character are interesting too. There's this game that they're playing. Uh, it's not Pictionary. It's not, um, 
it's it's just I forget what that game is called, but you, you give clues and you have to figure out the words. It's like a spoken version of I charades. Got the sense they made that game up. Maybe they did. Whatever the case, <sighs> he's trying to get him to guess Little Women, and he gets yeah. little pretty quickly. And he goes, "Oh, what she is," and he can't get off the girl child he calls her child at one point and like we're as funny as that scene might be we are getting a real sense for how locked into his view of her as his daughter as a you know a girl a child and even when at the end his guess is a little princess you know like it all speaks to like you couldn't get to little women because you don't see her as a woman Right, you know, so you just couldn't get there. Uh, it's just, it's. I, I really thought that was uh, amazing. Another one of those moments after he kills the guy and he comes into and he's like, "Let's do dessert before dinner," and he's shaved for the first time in the mm. entire movie. He has a shaved face, mm. and it's just a simple thing. But you go, he shaved to come <laughs> in here. Like, like, what does that say about how he feels about their environment now and what he's trying to do? And, um, yeah, so those little touches, I think, say everything. I mean, uh, right after he shoots Emmett and she's freaking out, within within 20 seconds, he's saying, now it's just you and me. Like, Mm -hmm. this is where he was always going. Right. Uh, He didn't want Emmett there. Yeah. Uh, I'd also mention she fills up at a Kelvin gas station, which a Kelvin is a little Easter, uh, JJ Abrams Easter egg thing, uh, which uh, has taken on greater meaning in the Star Trek universe. They call the whole thing like the Kelvin timeline. They did. Um, So, uh, so yeah, uh, that's always fun to see in his movies uh, that he has place in. Uh, And then other than that, I really like the character development. I think it sets up really well this idea. She tells this story of how she saw somebody uh, a, a girl being abused by her parents, like verbally oh, abused in the store. And she just gutting and she just couldn't do anything. And that is what the movie is. It's about her learning how to, um, to be, to step in and do something as opposed to just mm. panicking. Um, and I, I thought that was really great. So yeah, I, I love this well, movie. His, I, his story I think so right good. before that is parallel because he talks about how he was, really good at a sport and had a scholarship but was too Mm -hmm. scared so he didn't get on the bus and so he never got on the bus so he just stayed here by the end he's decided to work with her to escape that's completely opposite of the guy who wouldn't get on the bus so even he has an arc but i love those two stories right back back to back yeah i think it's really really good i I just this movie really impresses me i just think it's really great filmmaking i actually even think the clover field stuff is great filmmaking i just think it's a different movie it just becomes a different movie at the end they're both movies i could invest in and in fact if you think of the the you know team up style movie it'd almost be better if that ending was like in the beginning of the team up movie right where we're like you know getting a sense of who these characters are now and and kind of what they're doing but um, but yeah, I really enjoy this movie quite a bit. Yeah, it's good. I'm glad that you recommended it, and uh, I'm glad that I got to revisit it. Trachtenberg is a little bit of an interesting guy because he made mm-hmm. this movie in 2016 and then directed television series. He directed a Black Mirror episode. His Black directed... Mirror episode is really great. Playtest is a really great episode. He yeah. directed The Boys, something called The Lost Symbol, and then six years later directed Prey. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, I'm curious to see whatever that guy has. It looks like the only thing he's got coming up is an episode of Stranger Things um, mm-hmm. in the final season. But I would need to watch 
five and a half seasons of that show before <laughs> I watched that episode. Um, <clears throat> all right, Aaron, are you ready for this week's super secret double feature? Yeah, hit me. Be very, very quiet. Secret? What secret? A dirty little secret. I tell you something I've never told anyone. Okay, so my first thought, I'm going to give you a bunch here, but uh, I'm, I'm cheating, uh, as I always do. My first thought is ridiculous and can't do it, but it was blast mm. from the past because it has somebody who's down in a shelter. In a bunker, yeah. Underground, uh, who then comes up to see what's happened to the world. But I just feel like tonally I would give people whiplash if that was the double feature. The double feature. And uh -huh. that's a very thin connection uh, i mm -hmm. saw somebody earlier uh in the chat who had suggested room with brie larson and i gave that some serious thought yeah uh, i thought that would have been a decent choice i wanted to because i love it so much i wanted to go with v for vendetta the mm -hmm. whole i kidnapped you to protect you angle right but also i'm kind of insane but i, I here's where i'm gonna land i'm gonna land on war of the worlds um because okay. you have an alien attack and then you have uh, somebody who is not very good at guiding and protecting you, trying to guide and protect you. Uh, but most importantly, uh, for about 20 minutes near the end of this movie, they hide in a farmhouse owned by a crazy person who says mm -hmm. he's going to protect them and then turns out to want to harm them. Um, so that section of the movie combined with the whole... I think tone is very similar um and the alien attack thing um yeah the tom cruise version sorry everybody the spielberg one uh because again you've got that abrams trachtenberg spielberg kind of mm -hmm. connection yeah um so i just feel like that would be a good one to punch to kind of keep you in the same mental zone and no i haven't seen the 1953 war of the worlds i didn't know maybe i didn't know there was one well slab yeah. loves them both yeah, no, they're both good. The The original one's good, too. Um, you know, Alien Invasion is just a, it's an interesting topic. And, you know, the Orson Welles radio play is kind of overblown the idea of the impact it had or whatever. But it, it did have that impact on a few people where they genuinely oh, sure. reacted to thinking, it, to thinking it was a radio broadcast of an actual invasion. Um, so, yeah, it's it's just it's a compelling story. That crazy guy. Um, <laughs> all right, everybody, your homework for next week. Uh, I'm going to try and keep us in the lighter end of things. Um, and next week, we're going to watch Robot and Frank. Um, this is a 2012 uh, sci-fi dramedy starring Frank Langella. Uh, and he is a former jewel thief. This is set in the near future. And his son buys him a butler robot to help him um and he decides to turn the butler robot into his heisting partner uh aaron have you ever seen this movie jeremy until you sent the email i didn't know this movie existed um, Righteous. so yes. do you this... realize how hard it is for me to recommend a movie that you haven't seen <laughs> is that uh, your goal it's a bucket <laughs> list i just checked it off um this is a short charming movie with some really good humor beats, a really great cast, Jeremy Strong, Liv Tyler, James Marsden, Susan Sarandon, Peter Sarsgaard. Um, and uh, I've only seen it once, and that was about four years ago, and I'm excited to get back to it. Everyone can watch this on Pluto TV for free. Uh, it will have commercials, uh, or you can rent it at your favorite streaming option and go commercial free. Uh, so again, Robot 
and Frank. And uh, I think we got some time for some questions. All right, let's do it. Question. Question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I am listening. Oh, they're predicting that you're going to like Robot and Frank, Aaron. I'm happy to see that. <laughs> of course, if they predict it too much, then they'll force you to be wrong. Um, what is a great moment in a bad movie that is so great you are willing to watch the bad movie again just for the great moment? This is easy for this. This to me has a right answer, uh, <laughs> and and the the right answer is the duel of the fates uh, scene from Phantom Menace. Mm. Um, it's just great. I. It is so good that I that I would absolutely watch Phantom Menace just to see it. Um, so yeah, that's my answer. Um, that is the right answer, uh, <laughs> and I'm going to shamefully give my incorrect answer. <laughs> Uh, there's this 2013 movie called Getaway with Ethan Hawke and Selena Gomez. And it is a very standard bad guy calls and you have to do what he says or else he's going to do something to people that you love. Only it's you're in a car. But there is a chase scene in this movie that is one of the best car chases I've ever seen because... I think they took the most expensive camera in existence and put it on the front bumper of the car. It's a Mustang, if I remember right. And it cuts to this angle. And, and I know it's all coordinated with stunt drivers, but when he goes through intersections and barely misses cars, it's just, it's a, it's a visual I have never experienced in any other movie. Hmm. Uh, and it's a standout, but I, everything else about the movie is completely average. Um, so, you know, you have to know that going in. Slab says the car chase in the Matrix 2, famously the best car chase ever. Um, mm. The plane crash sequence from Knowing. Um, knowing. Mm. I always get two Nicolas Cage movies confused. Knowing right. and... The one and the other he, one that you get confused for knowing? Next. Next, <laughs> next yes. The one yeah. where he can see the future. I get those confused all the time. Car Chase in 1974, Gone in 60 Seconds. I have not seen that movie, Paulie, but I will have to check it out. Uh, Rise of Skywalker. One good scene being the five-second John Williams cameo. Um, <clears throat> knowing and next. Thank you, guys. I just caught up to the chat. Uh, all right. Let's do another question. What sure. single fictional character do you wish our culture would stop idolizing and why i'm gonna give a movie answer a tv answer and another answer oh wow um my movie answer is the easy one scarface that's just a weird one to me i never got the scar like the scarface worship you know kind of thing like he's so cool he's terrible he's terrible uh and then the uh, tv one is rick sanchez from rick and morty mm. um a lot of people seem to love that character and idolize that character i don't get it and i the other thing is, I think the creators of these products also don't get it, which is true. Which is true of my final answer, uh, which may shock you: um, the Cinema Sins narrator. Uh, I wish. <laughs> I wish our culture was that guy's an idiot. He's a jerk. Uh, stop idolizing him. Stop seeing movies that way. Uh, so yeah, yeah that no, is mine. that's oh, that's good. I uh, can't, <laughs> I can't argue against that. I thought uh, this is a very interesting question. The first thing I thought of was Batman. Now I'm as big a Batman fan as you're ever going to find, and I think there's a lot of nuance to the character if you want to go into the comics. But there are movies about Batman where, um, if you really step back and look at it, like he's just a terrible, 
terrible human mm-hmm. being. Yeah. Uh, but I also wanted to mention an Al Pacino movie with Michael Corleone. There you and go. The Godfather. And I understand what one of the things that makes that movie magic is that you are rooting for a terrible person at the end of it. And you're mm-hmm. cheering when he succeeds. Uh, but he's just, he's awful. We have three movies making me, trying to make me sympathize with this guy. And I'm like, I can't. It's impossible. I cannot create those feelings. All right, one more question and then we're out of here. Uh, All right. Combine the plot of your favorite movie with the plot of your least favorite movie <laughs> in one sentence. <laughs> uh, here's the plot summary. Uh, all four kingdoms are going through a change where their bending powers are shifting. So one ingenue finds work using her bending to do bending work for someone having difficulty making that shift. <laughs> By the end, she realizes she's the avatar after a series of elemental bending musical numbers. Uh, so... <laughs> now you got to tell us the movies. Uh, that is uh, the Last Airbender and uh, Singing in the Rain uh, together. So, all right, here's mine. A talented computer hacker is recruited to go back in time and have uncomfortable, adulterous sex in bathtubs in order to save the planet from computer programs and Germans. Uh, that nice. is the Matrix meets the English Patient. Um, that's a fun note to end on, and. Uh, Let's call that a show, everybody. Your homework next week is Robot and Frank. You can find that on Pluto TV. Thanks to the chat for coming out and weighing in uh, and being a part of the show. And uh, for Aaron Dicer, I'm Jeremy Scott. We'll see you next week. Bye, guys. Be a part of the live show by being a member of the Sin Club at Patreon at patreon.com slash cinemasins. Chat with us on the CinemaSins Discord at discord.gg slash CinemaSins or CinemaSins Twitter at CinemaSins and email any comments or questions to recotopia at CinemaSins.com. That's R-E-C-O-T-O-P-I-A at CinemaSins.com. How you doing? I don't even know. I haven't had a second to figure that out that's what happens is you do a vacation and then you come home and it's like a tornado of life Mm -hmm. and And it doesn't matter how much you beforehand or like i'm gonna set it up so that it won't be like that when i get back it doesn't matter doesn't matter doesn't matter i'm gonna tell you i'm on both ends of the spectrum at once right now i am in a, a fantastic mood great um I am also exhausted uh, and maybe a little hungover. Yesterday ended up being one of the busiest days of my life. I had two narrations to do. Um, There's something else in the middle of the day that I'm not remembering right now. And then my wife and I went down to Nashville downtown for dinner. Uh, and then we saw Nickel Creek. Are you familiar with Nickel Creek? Indeed. We saw them at the Ryman where you and I and everyone else saw Mike Babiglia. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the best concert I've ever seen in my life uh, in terms of musicianship and just the joy of performing, the joy of music that was obvious from all of that was incredible. But I also can't come home and then just go to bed. I need this like two-hour decompression window no matter what time we get home. So I yeah. was up really late after all of that, 
and um i'm running on fumes but i'm in good spirits and uh awesome. excited about the discourse today before i before i get into some alaska stuff because i do have some stuff i i want to run by you okay um i think i told i think i've told you this uh but i will say it and get in just in case i haven't uh the guitarist from uh nickel creek is sean watkins yeah. Um, he and John Foreman have a band together that's really good called uh, Fiction Family. John Foreman is the uh, creative force behind Switchfoot, does most of the lyrics. I know who John Foreman is. That's wild. I didn't know they had a band together. Yeah, yeah. It's called Fiction Family uh, is the name of the band. They did a couple albums. Um, what kind a while of music back. is it? It's folksy. Uh, I mean, when John Foreman is writing lyrics, it's always going to be like deeper kind of stuff. Um, sure. But yeah, I think you might enjoy it. I think you should look I'm, them up like on Spotify or something. Fiction family. They all get a chance to shine in this concert, but uh, man, that guy can play guitar and yeah. he makes it look effortless because he's just standing there like he's, like he's, you know, casually playing Sunday school songs. But his <laughs> fingers are freaking flying. I was amazed. We had really good seats, so we were really close and I got to see, you know, the finger work uh, of all of them. Um, yeah, I'm gonna remember that. For it's a like uh, it's like Lord of the Dance for guitar playing, where like the entire <laughs> upper half of the body is just not moving and the legs are just flying all around. Exactly. Now, how was the last? No, it was wonderful. Um, I I have so many stories I could tell. I think the thing you would be most interested in, uh, one of the places we spent a lot of our time was a little town called Seward, Alaska. Okay. Um, Seward is named after the Secretary of State, I believe, that purchased Alaska from Russia in like one of the best real estate deals in the history of real estate deals it ended up being like okay pennies for the acre uh kind of thing but anyways uh in this town there's a mountain called mount marathon and in the early 1900s a couple of brothers were like hey see that mountain i bet i can get up to the top of that mountain and down in less than an hour uh, now this this mountain is approximately three to four thousand feet high right oh my yeah. And so he's like, I'll take that bet. And so they had the first official Mount Marathon race, uh, and it took him like an hour and a half or something to get all the way up uh, and back huh. down. So ever since then, uh, they have the Mount Marathon race, and it's just a bunch of people running up this mountain and back down to see who can get there the faster. They have 500 people enter this race every year. They had to limit it because people like these kind of extreme races kind of stuff. There's a women's division. There's a kids' division. Like <laughs> that's messed up. And you like, just you just watch these people and you're like, you're all gonna die. <laughs> yeah, like is it there's no climbing, I assume. Is there a path to run on? So it's kind of a path, but there is climbing. Like there is there are there are parts of this race where you're climbing up rocks. Uh like to so what are the statistics on people who get injured or or dead? There are a lot of injuries. There's no deaths. Uh there has there has been one well, I should say we can count the one missing person as a death because they've never been found. So. 